What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Hope you're having a nice day. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. JMV was finally able to hop on. We talked for about 20 minutes about the upcoming NFL draft. And then after that, I've got the whole rundown on the playing games from last night. It's an absolutely loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Joining me now is JMV, host of The Ride with JMV on 107.5 and 93.5 The Fan here in Indianapolis. Thank you so much, first of all, for, for taking the time. You got it, buddy. Thank you very much. You answer the phone very well when I call into Tony Katz. So I'm thinking we got to do the podcast. So it's good that we finally got on the... Because uh, I've been bailing on you. That's been my fault because of stuff that suddenly comes up. But can't wait. Very excited. So fire away. All right. So I'm, I'm all off the draft right now. Uh-huh. But b- before we get into that... Did you watch the games last night? I the did. The games? Yep. What did you think really quickly? Um, I thought Mike Conley Jr. was awesome hitting three free throws with point, what, nine, point one, whatever it was on the clock. I thought that was awesome. Um, I, I also think it's awesome that the Timberwolves are such a absolute messy soap opera. I think that's pretty funny. Getting up 15, losing that lead. Um I don't root for the Lakers at all. Me either. It was kind of interesting to see their crowd as excited as they were for kind of a play-in game like yeah. that last night. Um, and as far as the Heat, it's always cool to see Jimmy Butler and the Heat get their ass whipped, and that was pretty fun <laughs> to see that last night. Um, I don't like Atlanta. I think Quinn Snyder is a good NBA coach. I think he yeah. can do something there. I don't know if he's going to be able to do something with Trey Young because I believe all that's going on around there as far as maybe they wanting to move on from him. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are two good games. Uh, I, the play-in game, some people kind of loathe, but I was digging it last night. It was great last one. night. Yeah. Those were some of the better playing games I, I feel like we've had. So that being said, the the NFL draft it's coming up. We're a few weeks away. Right. I'm sure I'm sure you're tired of of talking about it at this point. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Certainly, well, I mean, not a lot to talk about. There's one main thing to talk about, but you spend a lot of time talking about it for sure. So let's 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 talk about it. So for you personally, who do you like at quarterback amongst the four guys who are going to be drafted in the first round this year? Um, I like C.J. Stroud more than anything else, and my my C.J. Stroud impression comes from basically one game, which is wrong. I shouldn't do that. I mean, you can look at the Michigan game where he wasn't great. You can always look around and you know what he has around him, and how could you not be really good to have Marvin Harrison Jr. and that offensive line and all those weapons. But what I saw against Georgia in that national semifinal, being able to move, making really quick decisions, um, being accurate. He called himself at the Combine a ball placement specialist. I thought you saw that against Georgia. And the reason why I take that away from one game is because, obviously, Georgia now, the two-time defending national champions, and their defense this past year wasn't like what it was the year prior. But it was still really good. And to watch him, and I mean him alone – picked that apart in that national semifinal, even in a loss, I thought this is the type of guy that the Colts not only need right now, but have needed prior to somebody to move around. You make your offensive line look better, which did not look good last year with an immobile quarterback that had a noodle arm. That was an issue. Um, It has been an issue. I just think that he, to me, represents exactly what the future quarterback 
the Colts should want. And Shane Steichen, you know, you've got a guy that can throw from the pocket. You've got a guy that can move around a little bit. It seems like that that marriage would be perfect. Now, the problem that you have is clearly the Colts don't feel the same as I do yeah. because they somebody else up. traded up, in this case Carolina, and Carolina's got the pick of, of everybody. So some suggest it's going to be uh, Stroud. Some suggest it's going to be Young, You know, maybe even Richardson for some. But I maintain this. Back during that circus of a season in October, I had heard that, you know, the Colts are really checking on and watching a lot of Will Levis at Kentucky. And granted, they do that for everybody. They watch everybody. They watch everybody a ton. They vet these guys like crazy. But it's interesting to me that I heard that back in October, and I haven't heard anything different in terms of other interest. And the fact that they seem right now so willing to stay at four would lead me to believe that they feel comfortable that whomever they draft is going to be there at four. Thus, they don't have to get rid of assets to move up to three. Or they didn't have to do that to move up to one. So, to me, until I'm proven otherwise, and I haven't seen anything else to really do that, I think it's going to be Will Levis out of Kentucky. Now, of the four, he's probably fourth on my list. I agree. Stroud, Young, I like Richardson in terms of if you have a wild weight to see what this guy could be, yeah. I think that's going to be worth the time and the effort. I just don't know if he can play quarterback right now. I don't know if he can lead a team right now. And I've talked about this on the show a great deal, is that Levis, to me, they're identifying somebody they believe also can be a leader on and off the field. They're looking yes. for that. and. I think that that's going to play a role. I could be wrong. I mean, they could trade up to number three at the last minute, decide they need to do that. I mean, maybe they're going for a defensive player. They like Hendon Hooker later on in the first round of the draft if they can move up. I'm not sure, but I'm just going on what I heard in October, and it really hasn't changed whatsoever, was their interest in Will Levis. And I just think their mannerisms right now of staying where they are, kind of cool, calm, and collected, and not trying to bounce around. You don't hear a lot of – you know, I had a lot of reports about where the Colts are thinking about trying to move up because they're worried about the guy that they want's not going to be there. To me, they seem to believe that the guy that they covet is going to be there at four, and I think that's Will Levis. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. How do you think the Lamar Jackson aspect of this plays into it? I know the Ravens went out and got OBJ, so now there's speculation that Lamar's going to stay. I know Lamar's excited about it. He's posted about it. But look, if the Colts come along and they offer him a long-term deal worth more than you know the $32 million he's going to get this year, I think he'd leave the Ravens in a heartbeat for that. Here's the problem that you have. Um, if this would have taken place a year ago, it would have been a sure bet. Because last year, Jim Irsay in the second half of that Jacksonville game, that was an embarrassment where they got knocked out of the postseason. Decided right then and there, I'm done with Carson Wentz. And I don't care about whatever means necessary, get rid of this guy. I want him out of here, and then I want somebody to come in here that people can believe in. You want to go out and find somebody that people can believe in. Thus, you have Chris Ballard and Frank Wright go out on the search for the next quarterback. And I remember them saying it took them 90 minutes of tape time to watch to realize that Matt Ryan, in their estimation, still had it. Was still a, a top notch quarterback, could still make all the throws, still be, you know, that high level of quarterback. Well, it took us basically three minutes to to surmise during the season that he couldn't, <laughs> and he wasn't, and he wasn't going yeah. to anytime soon. So I think that to me, a year ago, if this Lamar Jackson thing would have happened, 
I think certainly the Colts would have been out and after him, and it would have been by whatever means necessary last year. Now, again, you know, that's also without Lamar Jackson going through a year, another year in which he didn't finish the season. But here, I think, is the larger reason why that they have zero interest at all in Lamar Jackson. And believe me, they have zero interest is because Jim Irsay wants to be a lead voice among these NFL owners. And these NFL owners don't want this. And you can call it collusion. And I'm sure, certainly by definition, it probably is. But the only owner that would be cool with doing what somebody would have to do to bring in Lamar Jackson like that already has a quarterback, and he started it. That's Jimmy Haslam with the Browns, who brought in a year ago Deshaun Watson. The owners don't want long-term guaranteed contracts like that. That's what Lamar Jackson wants. And Jim Irsay being the, hoping to be, the leader, voice-wise, of the NFL owners, I think if you step out of line and you go for yours right there, then you're going to have the other owners look at you, and you're not going to be that. And I think it was magnified two weeks ago at the owners' meetings in Arizona when Jim basically got up there and said, hey, you know, I'm against uh, guaranteed contracts. I don't believe in it. And then basically told everybody that thought that they may have interest, which they should because there is no doubt Lamar Jackson brings exactly what is necessary for this team right now. Even with the injury concerns, he brings the interest, which is basically bottom of the barrel in the NFL right now. And he gives you the chance to win within your division and throughout the quarterback-heavy, the quarterback-laden AFC. He gives you that opportunity right now. But I just think there are a couple of different factors weighing in here as to why Jim Irsay and the Colts have zero interest. And I think that part of it is that voice that wants to be respected and be a lead voice among these NFL owners, and that's Jim Irsay. And that type of deal is exactly what they all don't want. So I think you saw him follow suit. Yeah, I I hate that so much. Because I think that when we look at Lamar and Levis, in four years, Lamar Jackson is going to be better than Levis. And whenever we think about building a Super Bowl roster, there's two ways to do it. Option one, you get lucky and you draft a quarterback in the first round who ends up being a stud, and then you go spend all your money while he's on that rookie contract Mm -hmm. to attract all the other positions. Or you do what the Chiefs did this last year. You pay Mahomes, you pay your left tackle, and you pay Kelsey, and you play uh, Jones on on the defensive line, and then you draft really well at, at all the other spots. And I've seen Chris Ballard do that. And so there's a part of me that just wonders, like, do you, like, why would you not take this chance? Obviously, with the money and everything that you just mentioned, but I just I feel like in terms of the Colts getting back on the path to winning a Super Bowl and getting there quicker, I feel like the quicker option would be Lamar. Oh, there's no doubt it would be the quicker option, and I mean you automatically get one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, a former MVP, and certainly in the AFC with Burrow and Cincinnati and Mahomes. You know you got weighted down in Kansas City, or even within your own division uh, with Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. You've got issues that you know drafting a quarterback is going to take a while. Lamar Jackson makes you ultra competitive immediately, but it, it, it's funny. You talk about the way this Colts team is built and the way Kansas City did theirs. I mean, they really they took off, drafted Mahomes, 
They waited for a year with Alex Smith, then put him into gear, and then with that rookie contract he was on, they started having success, and they added in all these parts. And it was only until last year where they had to start making decisions. They had to make that decision on Tyreek Hill Mm -hmm. and let him go. That turned out okay. You know, they also this past year had to make that decision on Orlando Brown, a left tackle. Um, I should say, no, yeah, Orlando Brown, Brown left yeah. tackle. Um, so, in, you know, they, they filled that gap, which that makes that, that okay as well. I think there was a point in time where Joe Tunney at left guard, um, left or right guard, I think it was left guard, was at one time not any longer with Quentin Nelson, but he was the highest paid left guard in the NFL. Yeah. And they filled a lot of gaps because they built it the way that successful organizations in the NFL build it now. You draft your quarterback, and then you build those bits and pieces around him, you know, with Travis Kelsey, with Tyree Kill at the time. The Colts are just doing it backwards yeah. because nothing has worked for them. The Colts are now doing it backwards where you go out and find the quarterback well you have guys like DeForest Buckner and Shaquille Leonard and then upcoming here relatively soon Jonathan Taylor is going to get extended with a higher dollar contract you you are filling in the gap at quarterback with a rookie around a group that's ready to win right now and that's problematic I don't know oftentimes if you can look around to see where that really worked but honestly what they've been doing over the past three years, especially even with the success of Phillip Rivers, you know, going back a couple of years here, that hasn't worked. And it was time to draft a quarterback. And I believe that during this chaotic circus of a season this past year, they decided we're going to draft a quarterback of the future come hell or high water. This is what we're doing. And that's what they're going to implement. And that's just another layer as to why they don't have interest in a guy that clearly in the now would be much better for your level of competition and being a challenger in the AFC South or even the AFC under center for you and not even thinking about doing it when it appears he's available. Now, again, Baltimore could match anything that you do. Eric DaCosta could say, hey, we're going to do this, whatever. But, yeah, the fact that they have zero interest right now, I think there are like three different reasons for that. Certainly it starts with the owner. And I also think that maybe the third on that list is the fact that they're just ready to draft a quarterback. They came up with that logic during this past season, and they're going to hang with it, not move away from it. So Fair enough. So based on everything you said, I know how, I know how you're going to answer my next question. But I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway because I, I, I mm-hmm. think it's fun to talk about. The Colts have to draft a quarterback because, like, if you don't really love Levis, I don't see the harm in waiting a year to potentially land Drake May out of North Carolina or Caleb Williams, both guys right. who are highly regarded, obviously. And when we look at the Colts roster, like, there are needs that they have that are available in this draft. You can take Will Anderson at, with that fourth pick. You have your pass rusher for the next 10 years. You can trade back and take Skaronsky an offensive tackle out of Northwestern. You got oh, who's the tackle. Is it Gonzalez, the uh, cornerback from Oregon, is who I'm thinking of, too? Yeah, there's the, the Weatherspoon kid from, from Illinois who plays yeah. corner. I mean, like, there are so many options for them to fill needs that they currently have that needs that you have to fill to win a Super Bowl anyway. So what is – so I know everything you've said. They're yeah. probably going to take Levis. Right. But is there any chance that well, they they kick it down they kick the can down the road one more year? With with Ballard, there always is a chance. I just I just think that again they came to the conclusion months ago that they were going to draft a quarterback. Now I will tell you this: just because I think Levis is fourth on the list doesn't mean he's fourth on their list. Yeah. Um, 
like I, I mentioned what they are looking for, and this has been solidified to me. And oftentimes we talk about this in terms of just kind of BS and when we talk about, you know, a horseshoe guy or a leader or all that crap. You know, normally you get that, and it's really a feel-good story when you're winning, but it's kind of laughable when you're not winning. So I haven't really talked about that very much, but they do they do view as a team leader a very high level of importance. So I maintain that they've identified Levis as that, and they view Levis much differently than we do. They view Levis much differently than Carolina might, than Houston might, than anybody that may want to trade up to get Anthony Richardson at number three with the Cardinals. I So to me, it there's no thought of just going ahead and getting the hell out and waiting until next year with you know Caleb Williams and that group coming out next year. I think that they have identified their guy, and that's where they're going to go with it. There is no doubt to me that they're going to draft a quarterback. Now, could – Chris Ballard throw a curveball at everybody and do what Chris Ballard does. There is no <laughs> doubt about that because the one thing about it, people want to suggest, well, he's going through six years right now. He's going into year seven with very little results. He's going to be on the hot seat. His seat is much less hot than it was in the midst of that clown show that was a year ago. Yep. It is much less hot. He's going to have three years to pick this quarterback, to see this quarterback grow, and in their terms, hopefully see this team grow and produce and win games. He's going to have this year or this coming year to draft it and at some point work it in. He's going to have next year to start really seeing the fruits of the labor hopefully evolve. And then year number three is that time where you're going to expect them to take off. That is the Chris Ballard timetable. So this is a reboot. You go six years, not very many results. And I was one that suggested you got to move on. It's time to get away from Chris Ballard. I mean, we've seen all that there is to see. Jim Irsay did not feel that way. Jim Irsay knew that he was getting a new quarterback, going to be a long-term rookie-drafted quarterback. He knew he was going to get a new coach. I just don't think he wanted to do all three at the same time. So, again, he's putting his trust into Chris Ballard to make all these decisions. And there is no hot seat for Chris. And Chris is, to me, likely going to be here through the next three years. And I believe they're going to draft a quarterback. And I believe that it's going to be Levis at number four, no matter what I feel about it or anybody feels about it. I think they have identified what they believe to be their quarterback leader for the future, um, even though we don't think the same. Okay, fair enough. Last question, yeah. and then I will let you get on out of here. So, outside of obviously the fourth pick, what other positions and needs and specific players do you want to see the Colts go after? Um, here, here's the thing about offensive line. You mentioned that regarding offensive tackle. Um, I think, I think that they're going to, um, they're going to believe that what happened a year ago was more of a product of the quarterback than it was of them. I don't happen to believe it. They have either. made a change. They made a change with Tony Sperano Jr. as the new offensive line coach. Chris Strasser's out. Tony Sperano Jr. is in. So they made that change there. But I think their expectation is that that line that we saw be a disaster a year ago is not going to be that with a more mobile quarterback, whether you know that is more mobile and capable, whether that's going to be a rookie at some point or likely Gardner Minshew for a period of time here. They believe that offensive line is going to be better. They believe a left tackle, Bernard Ryman, who was a rookie a year ago, is going to be their future. That is their belief right now. Do you, do you believe that? I, um, believe I that. haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough to trust it. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you saw some signs. I just I think that for the most part, that line and the quarterback play was such an absolute disaster. I I don't know. 
anything positive that you could ascertain out of any of it last year. I, I really don't because it was that big of a mess. So, again, they're banking on, you know, Ryman, Nelson, Kelly had his issues last year. There Kelly was, was banged you know, up a lot of last year, though. Conversation that maybe he was going to get traded. Ooh. Clearly, they're sticking with him. They got to find yourself a right guard. You don't have that right now. And, you know, Danny Pinter, they thought he was going to be an answer. He wasn't an answer after they let go of Mark Glowinski. And then at right tackle, you know, look at Braden Smith. He had a bad year a year ago as well. These guys, part of the reason why their belief is in these guys is because they pay them all so much money. And they're all locked in. There's really not much you can do. I mean, you could try to trade um, Ryan Kelly, but what are you going to get pennies on the dollar for what his worth actually is? You know, you you paid these guys, you've connected to these guys to a point where now you kind of have to write it. You have to hope that last year is going to evolve better just because of the quarterback play. So there, I don't think there's any doubt you need I, – I think you always need more of a wide receiver. I, I don't think, even though I like Jelani Woods, you got to have another tight end. And Mo Ali Cox, who is a free agent, I think, right now, right? I think he is. Uh, Mo Ali Cox, while well, gives you flashes and signs – He's not what they need. They need more of a blocking type of tight end. Yeah. I don't know. They bring in Pharaoh Brown from the Browns. Mm-hmm. Maybe that ends up being the guy. I don't know a great deal about him. But I, I certainly need – they need that aspect in their game offensively. You know, obviously, Stephon Gilmore is out, so you got to tighten up coming up in the secondary as well. And, and we'll find out. One of the biggest questions on this team that we often don't talk about, I asked Chris Ballard this at the combine when he was on with me. I said, hey, what about Shaquille Leonard? So what about Shaquille Leonard coming back from injury in terms of next year getting back to being what he once was? And his response was, I wouldn't bet against him. And you can take that two different ways. You can take it as, oh, man, he's really confident that he's going to come back and come back strong. Or you can say, that's all he had to say about a guy that's missed for the better part of two years is yeah. I wouldn't bet against him. With, there sounds like that there's a bit of a question mark right there. So, With the back surgery, too. Yeah, that's that's something worth watching. And then – if Jonathan Taylor can get back, and this also coincides with the offensive line, yeah. get back to being that threat, and then how much they're going to end up paying him because you know clearly they're going to invest in him in the future, and that's something else that they do this backwards is they invest in a running back when nobody else invests, invests in, running in a running back longer term, and they are going to do that. So there's a lot of crossing your fingers and hoping going into this year as well. Sounds like a great plan. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. It does, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Thank you so much for the yeah, time. Anytime, uh, man. I, I really appreciate it. You got it. Um, hopefully, we, hopefully we can wrap it back maybe after the draft at yep. some point whenever you're free. I'm always right across the hall before shows. So. Sounds good. Thank you so much, You got man. it, buddy. Thank you. Once again, major thank you to J&B for hopping on the podcast. We always appreciate it anytime we have a guest on. So once again, thank you, J&B, for hopping on. Now, the playing games obviously started up last night. Eastern Conference game was first. We had the Miami Heat taking on the Atlanta Hawks. And very rarely do I watch a game in any sport, whether that's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever it is. Very rarely do you look at the box score and it tell about 99% of the story. And I feel like when you look at the box score for this Miami Heat and Atlanta Hawks game, the box score tells 99% of the story. Jimmy Butler didn't show up. Let's start there. He had 21 points. Great. That's awesome. 6 of 19 from the field. That's unacceptable. 
missed multiple shots right at the rim, shots that you would expect him to make as the leader of that team, as the go-to option on the offensive end, he has to be better. He has to be better. He missed multiple shots around the rim. You can't have that from your best player, no matter who you're playing for, especially when you're a team like Miami who already struggles to score as is. All of a sudden, your best player can't make shots that he normally makes. That makes it incredibly difficult on your offense. But thankfully... Kyle Lowry shows up, posts a season high 33 points off the bench. Tyler Hero played really well, you know, had, you know, 23 points, was 12 of 23 from the floor. He played really well. Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero were the only consistent offense that the Heat had the entire night. Bam Adebayo was basically non existent on the offensive end. And so, as much as I can talk about how the Miami Heat didn't make shots and how the Miami Heat didn't do all these things on the offensive end, The reason why the Hawks won and the Heat lost was because of Clint Capella and balanced scoring. Clint Capella had 21 rebounds. 21 rebounds. Eight of them were offensive. Okay, as a team, the Hawks out-rebounded the Heat 63-39, to and they had 22 offensive rebounds. 22 offensive rebounds to the Miami Heat 6. The Hawks had 26 second chance points. The Heat only had six. On top of that, man, the Hawks shared the ball so well. 26 assists on 45 made shots. They had seven guys in double figures. When any team shares the ball that well, rebounds that well, and gets excellent rim protection from Capella and Okongwu, you're not, it's going to be hard to lose to anybody when you play like that. And I know that all the trade rumors have kind of surfaced about Trey Young, the Hawks potentially moving him along. He was the catalyst last night. Like This is a Miami Heat team that has traditionally done a really good job of limiting Trey Young. If you go back, you listen to the podcast from yesterday, you'll hear all those numbers, right? They didn't limit him last night. 25 points. Seven assists, eight rebounds. Like that's that's a really good game from Trey Young, and I think a large part of it was the offense. Like it's a lot of screen and roll. It's a lot of moving the ball side to side. It's a lot of catch and shoot opportunities. Things that Trey Young does well. Trey Young shoots forty percent on catch and shoot threes. He's one of the best point guards in the league at running the pick and roll on the offensive end. If you're Trey Young, like, do you really want to leave? And if you're the Hawks, do you really want to get rid of a guy who fits really, really well into the system that Coach Snyder wants to run? I don't know if they do. I don't know if they do. And for me, I I wouldn't move him. I wouldn't move him. I think he fits really well in that system. The only reason I would move him would be if he became defiant and unwilling to play without the ball in his hands. That's, That's the only reason why I would move him. But... If Snyder can get him to buy into the idea of if you play off the ball, it'll help you. If you play off the ball, it'll help us win games. If he can get him to buy into that idea, Trey Young is an absolutely perfect fit for this Atlanta Hawks offense. Moving on to what was both an ugly and entertaining game between the Timberwolves and the Lakers. And, man, the first half. Jeez. Jeez. Carl Anthony Towns comes out in the first half and just puts on an absolute offensive clinic. 
you know, finishes the first half five of five from the field with 15 points, six rebounds, and four assists. I mean, he just played really well. Like, you can't expect anything more from a half or in a half from a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. And he's kind of shouldering the offensive load while Anthony Edwards is just kind of there, missing shots, not being aggressive, not not taking the ball and attacking downhill. I feel like he settled for a lot of jump shots in the first half. But before I absolutely just rip Anthony Edwards to shreds, I will say I appreciate that despite him not shooting the ball well, he was very engaged defensively. You could tell the, the defensive intensity was up. He was in the stance. He wanted to guard LeBron James. He wanted the challenge of playing defense, even though he wasn't scoring on offense. I love that, especially from a young guy, because young guys tend to not play defense in the NBA. Okay, like That doesn't happen for guys to like your five, your six, when they realize, oh, I actually have to play defense if I want to win games. And so at halftime, I'll be honest, like if you're pulling for the Timberwolves, you're feeling pretty good. You're sitting there and you're like, hey, you know, we're up you know, by double digits. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns looks good. Anthony Edwards, he's he's gonna get it going here at some point. Some point he's gonna get it going. And then the third quarter starts. And, you know, the Lakers kind of make a run, but the Timberwolves are doing a good job of kind of like just kind of keeping pace with them, right? Carl Anthony Towns continues to play well. You know, Ant's still not scoring the ball, but, you know, the, the defensive intensity is there. You heard JMV mention in the last segment, Mike Conley is shooting the ball extremely well. Two minutes into the third quarter, Conley had 14 points. He hadn't missed a shot. He was 4-4 from three. They had enough offensively that they were able to kind of keep pace with the Lakers coming out trying to make an early push coming out of halftime. And speaking of that push coming out of halftime, LeBron comes out, scores seven points in the first five minutes, right? You really felt LeBron start to assert himself in the second half. And then what happens, about ten minutes in to the third quarter, Carl Anthony Towns picks up his fourth foul. So he goes to the bench. The Lakers then cut it down to seven. Okay, the Lakers end the quarter on a 14-6 to run. Carl Anthony Towns doesn't pick up that fourth foul, the Lakers don't go on that run. They don't. Because when Carl Anthony Towns wasn't on the floor, the Timberwolves' offense just looked lost. And then, to make it worse, three minutes into the fourth quarter, Carl Anthony Towns picks up his fifth foul. That also puts the Lakers into the bonus, which is wild. And then, you know, the Timberwolves start to really struggle to score the ball. And so... Two minutes later, Carl Anthony Towns go back in. They needed the offense, but he just couldn't reestablish his rhythm. He couldn't reestablish the rhythm, and at that point on, like they were done. You know, Conley hits a big three with with six minutes and one second left to go in the fourth quarter to extend the lead back to seven. And then they don't score again until Conley hits three big free throws with point one seconds left after Anthony Davis fouled him. I mean, look, if you don't score for six minutes, you deserve to lose every game you play. Every game you play. When your most dynamic score in Anthony Edwards is 3 of 17 from the field and doesn't score 10 points, you deserve to lose. When you turn the ball over 20 times, you deserve to lose. When you get beat on the glass, you deserve to lose. And the Timberwolves absolutely deserve to lose that game. You don't score for six minutes. That's hard to do. Like, that's that's really hard to do. 
And this Minnesota team is just, they're so intriguing. Just with the collection of talent that they have, obviously they were depleted last night. No Gobert, no, uh, no, no McDaniels, no missing multiple important pieces. And I really want to like this Timberwolves team. Like, I like Carl Anthony Towns on offense. I love Anthony Edwards. I know I've kind of been banging on him here a little bit with the lack of offensive production from last night, but I like him. Athletic, intense, can shoot it. You know, the Gobert thing's interesting. I, I don't like that trade. It's one of the worst trades we've ever seen. I don't really want to talk about that right now. But I, I really want to like this Minnesota team. But they do stuff like this. Like, th- this is who Minnesota is. This is who they are. And it's disappointing because there's a lot of talent, especially on the offensive end of this team, and we saw it in the first half last night. We saw the offensive talent that's there, multiple guys who can create offense, multiple guys who can shoot the ball, and then two guys in Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards who can go get a bucket whenever you need it. And they lose because they, they don't score for, for six minutes. It's wild. I don't understand it. Disappointing, it's frustrating, but hey, it happens. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Like, subscribe, do all those different types of things. If you want a further breakdown of the playing games from last night, head over to YouTube, Shooting the Schmidt, spelled the same way as the podcast is smelled. Smelled. Huh. Spelled the same way as the podcast is spelled. Feel free to go over there if you want a more in-depth breakdown. That's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all again tomorrow when I give you my NBA end-of-the-season awards and my first, second, and third all-NBA teams. 